Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to an episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and here with me today, like normal, to interpret the news and talk about what's happening around the world is my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Glad to be here. And I want to, I'm intrigued with your Steve Jobs look, and I believe uh, you're rocking the boat. What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're giving away <laughs> secrets here. So, okay, so Steve Jobs, because it's a little bit cooler here, so this is my winter uniform, and I've always appreciated his concept of being able to have one one shirt to wear all the time for these events. So it's it's a little bit of that. And, and in fact, yes, you can see in the background there a window that goes out to an island. So I am actually on a boat. So hopefully the 4G connection continues to work well, and, and we were able to do our our, our our discussions here from an island off the coast of Western Australia to Austin, Texas. It's amazing technology. That sounds very, this sounds very exotic, Derek. And it's, it's truly an honor here. And I think, you know, talking about uniforms, I'm wearing Nike t-shirt. I think they should sponsor this event just because I'm just representing them in some form or fashion. And that's, that's my Absolutely. ask for Nike to go and give some sponsorship yeah. here. Let's just do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And I wouldn't mind the fellow that makes these great shirts <laughs> to sponsor the event too. So that means I can get some more for winter. But for now, let's talk about this kind of preponderance of of sort of accumulated activity that we've seen happen in the US. And it's just happened in the last couple of weeks. Well, it's been happening for a while, but these headings have arrived in the last couple of weeks. And at the same time, we're seeing conclusions. And so one of the headings is BitterX announces that they, they're looking at exiting the US. Binance is announced that they're exiting Canada. Coinbase launches Bermuda Derivatives Exchange and considers the UAE as the international hub, which is extraordinary. And so we're seeing kind of these, these exodus occurs because of course the SEC have been attacking so many of these organizations. But today, thanks to Coindesk, there's an article out outlining that the US prosecutors have dropped extortion charges against an early advisor of the Ethereum network. Now, the lawyers for Stephen Nanaroff say that on the day of his arrest, their client was put into a van by the FBI, given a list of names and told to start turning over evidence on the likes of Vitalik Buterin, Kathleen Long, who's the founder and CEO of Custodia <laughs> Bank. So it's, this is extraordinary. This is, this is kind of desperation. This is, this is to me, an indication that, that you know, their client you know, they're arguing their client has become a victim of an elaborate setup by the FBI, which they say knowingly pursued false charges against Nanaroff in, in an order to get him to turn over incriminating evidence against his contacts in the crypto industry. So this is not the SEC looking at arguing the proposition that their 1934 regulations should be, should be implemented. This is the FBI 
looking at forcibly trying to get these you know major leaders in this space to start turning over information so to me it looks like choke 2.0 as they call it choke point 2.0 is in full swing but what's interesting about that is that, that happened three and a half years ago and it's gone through the eastern district court of new york and it's failed and the prosecutors have dropped their case and walked away we may be seeing a lot more of this but what we are seeing i believe is we're seeing an extraordinary attack in the us and and i and i have to say nidden and i'll say it for the third time this really is the fabulous gandhi statement isn't it you know at first they ignore you then they laugh then they attack you and then you win and i really do feel like we're in the attack phase but at the same time i get this extraordinary sense that this industry is going to win and win strongly and that's a lot because of what's happening geopolitically and it's what's happening overseas Nitin, what do you think is happening in the likes of the, of the uae and in the likes of switzerland and hong kong where i think they're probably taking up the opportunity yeah no i tried to dissect this too derek and in fact if you look at a few other additional headlines that you should probably also know is multi-prong attack and i think there's been internal consensus in my conversation of the existing administration having a completely antagonistic stance towards the industry as a whole. Uh, so if you look at DOJ for the first time, they've appointed director for National Cryptocurrency Enforcement Team. This is the first time that agency exists under Department of Justice. And they are sort of targeting crypto exchanges that allow for criminal actors to sort of profit from the crimes, the cash out, this is quote unquote, to go after the entities who are using crypto as a way to evade not just taxes and sanctions, but also in committing financial crimes. Then you look at DAME, which is the yes. Digital Asset Mining sort of you know act, which looks into taxing the mining is a new angle to curb production. So mining, as you know, is the is the industry that is involved in the initialization and production of Bitcoins to keep these trust systems that we talk about up and running and coupled with, again, some of the banking restrictions that we have been talking about in this show is essentially, is it a war on crypto? And then you begin to see some of the competing jurisdiction accounts with Switzerland has always competed with this, with, with the United States for banking, as you know, and they've had interesting challenges lately with Credit Suisse going down, but they also have been quite progressive, both in terms of crypto regulation, because they want to be able to reclaim sort of the banking element for this. And the same with Hong Kong, which has a, you know, even though it's a special administrative region or SAR, it's still as, as you know, post. So there's all this geopolitical element. And I look at this as indicative of the changing world order. In fact, there are some geopolitical element that talk about sort of these, the G7 collectively looking into this in terms of, you know, looking at China as a global economic power. So I'm trying to make sense of this to say, you know, with what Canada has done, even though Binance exits, as you mentioned, from Canada has nothing to do with SEC, it is to do with Canadian Security Administration, or CSA for short, which yeah. has put its limit both in terms of stable coin, because Canada itself has gone through its own share, even though it's north of the United States, it's significantly smaller economy than the United States, but it's still a biggest trading partner. And there's a lot of affinity, both in terms of not just the language and culture, but also in terms of trade and 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 the regulation that we both the United States and, and Canada follow. 
limiting investors from stablecoin and 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 limits that provide exchanges that makes Canada apparently per Binance not an attractive market because they don't have the quantum that they really seek to be able to make profit. Mm. So I think look in Canada, Canada's part of G7, as you know, I begin to view this as indicative of the changing world order to say, let's get this thing under control before we let the crypto let loose or crypto sort of derail the other elements that are that, that are yes. that are transpiring the space. I find that enormously interesting given where we are from, again, we collectively look into global macro, the debt ceiling liquidity crisis that, again, Paul Tudor Jones, one of the famed hedge fund managers and many of the other has talked about causing an uptick this morning, which is a difficult time for benchmark currency due to lower inflation and, and regulatory headwinds. That is his words to say, all this is sort of combined, the sucking of liquidity because of the general lack of liquidity in the system. To my vantage point, Derek, this is a really important point in time where we find the US dollar-based liquidity system that we live in has mm-hmm. been, been driven from various government you know, actions and regulatory sort of headwinds that it's experiencing. So I think to me, it's, it's, it's changing, you know, it's indicative of changing the, you know, new world order that we, that we begin to see. And is this geopolitical and does it have long-term impact on the global economic system? I don't know, even though I think crypto is still minuscule compared to the overall global economy in general. But to me, it's, 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 it's all our effort from DOJ, SEC, CFTC, CSA, you name, you name the alphabet soup, it's, it's out for it. I don't know what the answer is. I'm just trying to make sense of it. I think they, they, this could have been handled better, better guidance, better regulation, better controls. And I also would, would blame Binance that, that they should be able to adhere to some of these things. They're not different. These are not exactly new rules that traditional finance doesn't deal with. And they're able to make money from this system. So why do, you know, so I, I question that too, from both sides. Mm. I'll pause here to get your thoughts. Look, it's a simple human nature. And that is that on any major regulatory move or international move, you have to consider what the intent is. If there's a set of regulations that are getting created, maybe they're clumsy, maybe they're messy, maybe they don't understand. But what's the intent? And I think what we're seeing in the US is an intent to stop cryptocurrency and crypto assets and digitization of assets. And if you look at the 17 reasons why the Biden presidential order of March 2022 outlined for their fear of cryptocurrency, the first reason was to protect consumers which I unfortunately really do believe is just that statement of police, nurses and teachers. In other words, it's the emotional statement that you put in front of everything. But the next two reasons, I think, were the unveiling. And one reason was, was to protect the existing financial and banking system. And the second reason was, was to maintain the US as a reserve currency. It's outlined in his presidential order. And this maintaining of the US currency as a reserve is extraordinary because as you say, Nitin, you know, the finance industry and the fund management industry worldwide, I think you've used the number of about $400 trillion of value. And here we see this tiny little 
capitalization industry at $1 trillion, which brings me to say that the price of this industry is not the relevance. It doesn't matter that the price of the industry has gone up or down. What matters is what is the industry doing and what may it do for future generations in regards to the democratization of assets, banking and, <clears throat> and currencies. And clearly that's what they're concerned. That's what the US is concerned about. It's concerned about disrupting the existing system. And of course, I think you and I would agree that a better way of handling that is actually actively regulating it in a manner that provides a long phase-in period and something that all participants can become part of, but that's not what they've done. I also think that that creates tremendous opportunity for other countries. And when people look at this space, they look at this space and they get fooled by price. So last year, the price dropped 70% in the space. The space didn't drop 70%. Technology didn't drop 70%. The user base of Bitcoin didn't drop 70%. The price dropped 70%. And what we're seeing is we're still seeing technology get developed and we're still seeing wealth get created in the space. But just because price isn't the reflector, you've got to consider that, you know, what is the disruptor coming forward? And it's, and it's not getting valued on price. Um, and you can see the US government, in fact, looking at this and really, when you think about it, valuing it way past its price of $1 trillion. What are your thoughts? No, I saw two things on this slide. One is, I, I don't think it's the US government alone now. I think you have, even though you had MICA, MICA at least provide some clarity, but there is a concerted effort from, I would say the G7 in this case, to understand the ramification of this. So there are two things, right? One is I look into US dollar hedge money, which it's really hard to alter that because of market depth. There's not enough money. Any other currency doesn't have, that doesn't represent that kind of money that's available for you to be able to settle this massive global trade that's valued in trillion. And the amount of money or amount of assets that the industry deals with today is 471 trillion globally, right, in mm. general. So there are a few things to be said where, uh, you know, and of, of course, during lockdown, we've seen a massive injection of liquidity that led to a lot of interesting changes that's never seen before. Of course, the population of all has grown to almost close to, 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 to 9 billion. And now we're going towards quantitative tightening, which is tightening the economic sort of outlook, both in terms of controlling inflation and inflation is eating into many of the asset valuations. So it's like a literally lopsided economic equation that's emerging. And mm. because of the tightening, we begin to see the digital asset investment funds experience for the fourth consecutive week, the net outflows with close to about 54 million exiting by the end of last week. So May 14th, which is yesterday was Sunday, you know, we had a, we've seen fourth consecutive week of money investment flowing out, which means this because of liquidity tightening, people are seeking going back to US dollar as, as, as the base. So there are a few things that I would, I would go back and point pinpoint towards is that while the industry is growing, I think the industry itself, and I would, I would be critical to a lot of failures we've seen in 2022, and we've seen a lot of hangover effect of the FTX and the Terra Luna and so on and so forth, mm -hmm. which is coming into action now. And Again, the Pepe coin, which we discussed last week, didn't help. These are all meme coins that have reached a billion dollar and you realize yes. that, okay, is there a potential for fraud or crime? So industry is not helping itself with these meme coins either. 
So I'm trying to find a balance between saying what's pragmatic, what's real, and regulation that we have, as much as we hate it, and as much as it's burdensome to the industry to adhere to, especially a nascent industry like crypto, which is meant to be disruptive in nature, simply cannot be sort of pigeonholed into this newer regulatory model. It's like having a, a square peg in a round hole. Ooh. And that's the debate that we need to have is what can the industry do to let this flourish to a point where we don't give you know heat to these meme coins but focus on what's real focus on infrastructure which is built on built on on digital assets and focus on utility to say hey if bitcoin has clarity if ethereum has clarity or if let's xyz use cases have clarity then those are cleared and you'll find the energy now direct towards those use cases and those infrastructures which is again the lack of clarity is not helping that either so it's a cash 22 does the industry self-govern itself or does do, do the regulators around the, the G7, G, G20s of the world give you enough framing to say, hey, this is okay for you to work on because we understand we have visibility into these systems per se. And I think it's a little bit of both, that finding the right balance that industry helps itself, but also the regulators provide some clarity to direct the energy of the industry to solve those problems, whether it's payments or whether it's security settlement or whether it's private markets. That's where my head is at, Derek, if that makes sense. Mm. Now, we were talking earlier on about the, the, the amount of money that AI is attracting. I bring that in here for a moment because if you look forward, maybe past the noise of this regulation and the threat that this is causing the US um, government and what they perceive to be the US banking system, et cetera, and you turn around and say web 3.0 in other words the next generation of web operation is coming like a train and we're seeing extraordinary you know just novel ideas of being able to generate things such as you know things such as storage of of data on peripheral devices or edge computing using edge computing for computational power and enabling the owners of these things our phones to generate return from that well, what are they going to be paid in? They're not going to be paid by the bank. They're going to be paid in a digital asset. And when you look at AI getting involved with managing some of these external operations through Web 3.0, these are high-speed, frictionless environments. And we know that AI is coming rapidly. We know that Web 3.0 is coming rapidly. They will transact on blockchain and they will be using digital assets. There's, there's the future is clear as to where digital assets and digital currencies are going to be used in these spaces. And what is really clear is that banking systems need not apply when it comes to high frequency, high speed transactions, AI driven on Web 3.0 environments. So yeah. to me, it's inevitable of what's coming. The challenge is that the, the banking system is threatened by it. I mean, look, and I do work for a financial institution, so I can completely tell you that it's not perfect. But I don't think the common users, unless it's their own fault of making bad investments or falling for fraud, uh, and yes, banks have failed. There are there are guardrails in whether it's FDIC or some insurance mechanism that protects the common man's you know assets and so on and so forth. But I would say this, Derek, that from perspective of this newer age tech. I wholeheartedly agree. I think the existing financial system is not geared for 
dealing with the true digital nature of the world that's evolving. So there are many AI, and we should probably dedicate a whole session in this piece as well. If you look at Fetch AI or GRT, which is graph, and we've discussed mm. this internally in context of mm. portal as well, is, is they truly represent the newer age of financial transaction in the Web3 context, which is you have you bringing your skill to this ecosystem that lets you take your knowledge of AI and curating data, curating models. People can use those models, pay for it in the native currencies, and you get paid because it's your model that you create curating on these online models. So there's no translation of you going to an Amazon and Amazon taking his 30% cut or Apple taking his 30% cut from app stores. You're going towards this sort of democratic ecosystem. And if you don't have a demand for it, then you pivot instantly and move to a newer model until you 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 have a right product market fit that you're directly yes. now consuming. So that's a very powerful and very economic elements. And there are tokens that like GRTs for graph and Fetch AI has sort of Fetch token that governs the economic system of these different ecosystems that's, that's evolving. I think there's a lot of potential to your point. And there are exchange tokens where I can take ether, truly liquid tokens of the of the ecosystem and convert them into GRT and Fetch AI as an example. And there are many such data projects that are evolving. I see that happening. I just think that the industry still have to make investment into, I always go back to basics of, of this industry, right? This is decentralized storage, decentralized interconnect, decentralized compute. You need to grow that ecosystem so this piece can flourish. Until then, we are still tied to the cloud and the, the concentration of compute that today is 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 housed in these cloud infrastructures, which to me will be the biggest inhibitor. So now we are fighting with banks. Tomorrow we begin to fight with the cloud providers. At that po- at some point, we have to, as an industry, evaluate this day. We are we have to coexist, not necessarily fight financial institutions or cloud. I would call them institutions because they truly are yes. too big to fail. So what can industry do to to coexist and still prove the model till it's ripe and mature enough to be able to spin out, which is where I begin to talk about decoupling, so to speak, which we have talked about decoupling on this, on this show. I'll pause here, Derek, but that's my perspective on this, that we don't want to fight it yet. It's We are too nascent, too early, too young. Till we garner strength and enough and proven models, we need to coexist at some point because the liquidity still moves in from stablecoin, which is the largest token, and that's in USD. Yes. Look, that's, they're very wise words because, as you say, you know, that industry is $471 trillion in size and this entire space is capitalised at a trillion or less. So, so it's still tiny. And this takeover won't occur tomorrow. This change of tech won't occur tomorrow. You know, there'll be hybrid structures in place for many, many years to come. And so that makes sense. Also, it makes sense generationally because there'll be a generation that won't be jumping in and putting their banking into this structure. And there'll be young generations that are coming that are probably 14 and 15 years of age now that can be operating most of their world in a digital asset environment. So so this progression does make sense. I also think that when we see the likes of NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange, we see the excitement that we're seeing in artificial intelligence investment at the moment. We're seeing VC and PE money rushing towards them. We're also seeing VC trade now, sorry, PE, sorry. We're also seeing AI trade now 
and and trade portfolios <laughs> for people, which is quite extraordinary. So you're probably going to see some very efficient markets occur, you know, with the advent of AI through it. I can't help but think that the next giant unicorns in the area yeah. of AI and Web 3.0 are going to be reflected in digital assets, not on a NASDAQ listing. It just makes sense because they're going to be reflected in Web 3.0 business models. What do you think? So I actually had a great chat with them, hoping to bring John Wolper, one of my colleagues who spent 10 years and now he has changed perspective on crypto. And, you know, like, as you know, I, I, I had my master's in AI. I never used it because it was too immature as an industry when I graduated. Now I'm dating myself, Derek. I'm getting old, as as you can see. So can I just, uh, just stop here? Uh, you know, this is typical of Nitin that just drops <laughs> in. By the way, I did my master's in AI. It just drops it into the conversation. Good on you, Nitin. <laughs> yeah, and, and so the thing is that, that at the time, they really had no scope. And I think it took AI to get to this point. It was an evolutionary step. It took us 20 years to have evolution and compute the data models and the mm. AI models and the various sort of disciplines that that drove to where we are today. It didn't happen overnight, though it seems like it happened overnight because ChatGPT was announced and the next thing you know, we have 100 amazing yes. projects and foundational models that make this possible. Explosive growth that we see and yes. now you have a regulation going after that, which to me, I really feel sorry for the regulators and the lawmakers not only they deal with blockchain, now they have to understand AI and they're two completely immersive yeah. technologies that takes time to understand because you need to yes. have an acumen to deal with it. So I really feel sorry for them because now they're saying we need to regulate AI, we need to regulate blockchain. I'm thinking like technology is deflationary, growth is deflationary, and you cannot sort of unbag, you know, that thing. It's sort of the the, the character of the bag. You cannot bring it back in, in, the, in this, in you know, I may I may be messing my analogy here, but the point there is that you can't undo the change. So the question I look back is saying that because of the energy of people, talent, time, and capital being redirected this year, uh, and this is all happening in context of the failures we had last year and regulatory headwinds that we discussed earlier into AI, I think that crypto and digital assets will grow and once AI reaches a certain level of, again, deflationary mode, the quantum becomes the point that everything is like super cheap in AI model. AI will, I mean, blockchain will surface and it'll take that industry to the next, which we, we may be end up calling sixth, sixth generation or sixth industrial revolution at sorts, because at that point, blockchain will reach the level of ubiquity and maturity that will then support that digital ecosystem that we aspire to, whether it's the same model that Fetch AI and, and Graph and chain links of the world who are trying to bridge the gap in the two. That's my prediction in this case, I think, only because now everybody's moving towards AI. Suddenly now you find, and this is what at Consensus as well, which we never got a chat. Consensus was a little bit muted this year because there was so much conversation on AI mm -hmm. uh, that took away the wind of the sales of, you know, because we haven't done really anything amazing in the last year or so, except the failures that we've seen with the contagion of incompetence last year. Mm -hmm. So, so Nitin, it's interesting that you and I are now talking about Bitcoin consistent, so Bitcoin blockchain consistently being ubiquitous. In other words, the famous statement we made some time ago, multimedia was the buzzword of the 90s and the early 2000s. No one goes home to watch multimedia any longer. <laughs> and so the same will happen with blockchain it will become ubiquitous 
there might be questions in regards to major transactions to make sure that it's getting validated on the blockchain that you have trust in. Otherwise, it will just happen behind the scenes. Have to remind ourselves that only two years ago or three years ago, people were doubting that the blockchain was a useful tool, didn't understand how it worked, considered it to be problematic. Now they're starting to consider it to be, oh yeah, the blockchain's okay, but we have problems with cryptocurrency. And, and so you're seeing one piece of technology at a time being absorbed and understood and accepted. And then the next one being absorbed, understood and accepted. This is just the progression of human beings that have to understand what they're now dealing with in a complex world. I do feel that the world of Web 3.0 and the world of AI and the world of, of validation chains and the utilization of cryptocurrencies will become a group of technologies that will work symbiotically. And when that occurs, you'll see extraordinary efficiencies occur with mankind being able to enable business transactions and opportunities that they can generate income from by the utilization of all of those technologies. You know me, I, I just think this is an extraordinarily exciting time to come. On the way there, I think we're going to be facing challenges with regulation, and I think we're going to be seeing some fascinating international plays occurring with the likes of Switzerland, Dubai, and Hong Kong now, Singapore, of course, taking positive steps forward so that they can be part of that future. Nitin, let's do a, a program with one of your guests and sort of deep dive what they yeah. think is happening with AI and Web 3.0 and wrap that in with the latest news that we're doing very soon. What are your thoughts? I think we should do that. We should get more. And I think I always cherish perspectives, even if I don't agree with them, only because we need to understand a different point of view, which I think in this stage, it's still nascent. And for the first time, I would say that crypto this week was not exciting at all. There was, there was like the fear and greed index was neutral. It's not, not going on a lot. There's not a huge market moving happening in Bitcoin, Ethereum, TVLs. Everything just remained static, which we generally don't talk about that on these on this call. There's always something exciting happening. Yes, It's more and more of regulation, regulatory news, but nothing groundbreaking. And that should be indicative. I don't know, Derek, if it's maturity or if it's just the fact we have a lull because of the market forces that are governing, whether it's the global macro issues or AI issues or the startup sort of eventually taking a pause in trying to reflect and understand the industry like we are. We are trying to do the same thing. We're taking a pause and understanding as to where this industry is heading. But it was quite a dull and lull week, I would say, uh, which is not a bad thing. We could we could take a break from taking a step back and understanding where this is going. Uh, how long have we been doing this show now? One, at least one and a half years we've been doing this. And every single week, yeah. there's like a fire hydrant of news coming at us. And all of a sudden, right. we have one week that's quiet and we're all going, What's happening? The world is collapsing. Is one... <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm, I'm confident next week will be a busy news week again. And meanwhile, let's keep an eye out. For those that are listening, by all means, make suggestions. And also, if you wouldn't mind, like and share what we do with like-minded people, because we're always delighted to have your thoughts and we're keen to have people enjoy, hopefully, our view of the world and our view of macroeconomic and, and our view of what's happening in the digital world. Thanks, Nitin. And all, thank you, Derek. And all I have to say is don't rock the boat. Just stay the course. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Very good. Have a good one. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.